fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about ice-cold crepes with my friend Caitlin. <laughs> Great. How are you, Caitlin? Doing okay. Uh, yeah, just super busy finishing up a lot of school stuff, collecting some data now for my thesis. Well, uh, good good luck. <laughs> I will note, uh, we'll, we'll put it right at the front here too, that this is going to be your last show because you're, you're leaving the podcast, in part because of how busy you are with your, uh, your studies. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for participating for as long as, did you know, like I thought about it today, we've been doing this for like a year and a half now. Yeah, yeah, no, I knew that. Like, <laughs> since like last last November? Yeah, no, we started in August. I want to say it was August 2019. That have been right? That feels right to me. Because August 2021 would have been two years. It's quite a long time, but uh, it's been a journey. We'll We'll have more to say at the end of the show, I guess. But for now, like, do you want to do... Your very last patron shout out. <laughs> For sure. Okay. I guess we'll do our patron shout out. We'd like to thank Richard, Durka, Darren, Sarah, Ryan, and Tim. You are the Laurentian elite of the Imperial News podcast. You're talking about the Laurentian elites? Golding from Laurentian elites. Canada's Laurentian elite. We'd also like to thank Biano, Nicholas, and Michael, our foreign-funded environmentalists. What's your message to world leaders today? Uh, my message is that we'll be watching you. How dare you? Lastly, we'd like to thank our ultimate patrons, Nate and Ken, for being less annoying than Joe Pollock's cell phone. And had to basically start from scratch start from scratch and that's crazy we start from scratch testosterone flowing we start from scratch and that's crazy crazy homeless people in la have smartphones thank you all so much for your support and you can donate to us at patreon.com slash imperial news and now the imperial roundup <laughs> are you glad that's the last time you get to mock me on this intro <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the rebel from March 1st to March 5th. Ezra begins the week by playing most of Trump's speech at CPAC. Ezra criticizes people for being mad at Trump for still denying he lost the election saying the same thing happened when Clinton lost in 2016. Well, don't tell me about being a sore loser. That's exactly what the Democrats were saying for the past four years about Hillary Clinton. It's a typical headline from 2017. Clinton still believes she didn't lose the election. It was taken from her. Yeah, but it's fine when Democrats say that. I don't recall politicians and journalists saying she didn't lose, but they complained about illegal behavior in the Trump campaign that some people eventually went to jail for like Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen. So these things aren't the same. Ezra also thinks that the media is hypocritical about kids in cages, accusing Obama for building the cages and for Biden for reopening the facility. 
You know, during the Trump years, Democrats had these passionate photo ops at detention centers where illegal migrants were held, including kids. It was kids in cages, the media said, even though those actual facilities were built during the Obama-Biden years. Well, those cages are still there. Um, they haven't quite shut down everything yet, but now the media is in love with those cages. This ignores the many ways the Trump policy was worse, including the child separation policy, but I do agree that these facilities should go away entirely, along with ICE. Abolish ICE. Breitbart tech writer Alam Bokhari tells Ezra that big tech is now engaged in tracking online sources, and this is a form of censorship. So when you take all these uh, groups together, you, it's, it's, and, you, know, you, have, you have all those companies working together to trace the origin of content. It's impossible to, to uh, imagine how privacy and online anonymity can survive. The idea is that Microsoft, Adobe, and Intel, and other companies have signed on to make tracking changes to online content more feasible in order to determine content authenticity as a way of combating misinformation. Ezra sees this as an attack on privacy, saying that someone's name will be attached to the content, but it's not clear that this is what's going on here. We edit our videos using Adobe Premiere, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know that when you create a Word document, if you click on properties, I think it's called, it says the name of the person and whatnot, but you can make a document private. You can hide that. In Adobe, you can do, you can redact that because people know there are some times when you want privacy, who you don't want the name of every single person who touched the document on it. That's a valuable thing. And it's there. there's very good reasons for that. It sounds like all of that will be wiped out. And I can't think of a good rationale for that other than ending any anonymity for political reasons. Project Origin, which is leading this effort, lists two things they want to see happen. That if a video was created by the CBC, a link would be embedded in any changed content to direct you back to the CBC to see where it originated, and some kind of validation system that would check if the content has been manipulated, which really doesn't sound as spooky as Ezra makes it sound. Ezra accuses the Ontario government of child abuse. Child abuse. Hello, my friends. Some incredible child abuse discovered in Ontario. Rampant. Every health authority you can shake a stick at has given the same cruel advice. The children sent home from class or childcare have to isolate within their own homes, solitary confinement at home, even if they don't have any symptoms, like no symptoms. 14-day solitary confinement in their own home. It's gross. And I'll show you what the public health authorities have to say about it. Ezra plays clips of health officials that directly contradict what he is saying here. I mean, we know that if somebody uh, may have COVID-19 or they've been a close contact of somebody from, with COVID-19, uh, we would like them to be isolated for up to 14 days, which is the uh, incubate, maximum incubation period, because they may develop the infection and become infectious to others. However, we obviously understand that you can't leave a child alone in a room for that period of time. Um, and so you have to use basically common sense and say, you know, if, if your child had had measles or some other infectious disease, uh, how would you handle the situation? And you would make sure that the child obviously, 
you're caring for the child, but you use proper infection prevention and control. Uh, if possible, you wear a mask, you wash your hands well, um, you make sure the child is obviously uh, not exposing others in the family as much as possible. Hopefully, one only one or two people need to care for the child during that period. But you do not leave the child alone in a room for 14 days. Ezra makes this sound like a demand that you leave your child in a room for 14 days and never come near them until they starve to death. These people are child abusers. This is child abuse. That's what this is. Child abuse, but no more than terrifying children the rest of the past year forcing them to wear masks. Children no longer even remember what it was like in the before times. See their mom smile, see other people smile, see people talk when they talk to you. This is child abuse, that's what this is. Yeah, when some public health tyrant says, oh guys, just use your common sense, that isn't allowed, that's illegal, that, that's subject to fine. Just use your common sense. But even if it wasn't subject to a $5,000 fine, I know what common sense means to me, and I'm pretty sure it has the same meaning for most people, and I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with what these control freaks consider to be common sense. It's frightening stuff, folks. Eric O'Toole hires someone who used to be a VP for Huawei Canada, and Ezra is pissed. Huawei is accused of crimes. It's why Meng Wanzhou is under house arrest in Vancouver. Huawei is untrustworthy. They're an arm of the dictatorship. They spy. I'm not saying that Jake Enright is a criminal. He didn't commit fraud, and he didn't kidnap anyone, and I don't think he's a communist. Sort of the opposite. He probably got paid a lot of money to be Huawei's point man on this. None of that is illegal, but it is disgraceful. Would you go to work for your country's enemy? Ezra claims that the company is evil and says that the person Eric hired is a former Chinese intelligent asset. Go to banhuawei.com and sign it if you know. If you actually think Huawei and the Chinese Communist Party, if you actually think they're evil and we should fight against them, not hire their leftovers, seriously, go to banhuawei.com and we will put, deliver this petition to the government of Canada and to Aaron O'Toole telling them to ban the Chinese spy company just like many of our allies have done. Or, you know, visit conservative.ca to help pay the salary of a former, former Chinese intelligence asset. That's what Aaron O'Toole wants you to do. Ezra does point out that the conservatives are hypocrites for doing this, having recently criticized other parties for working with the current or ex-Huawei employees. Just two weeks ago, you know, the conservatives were saying they don't trust Huawei. Here's a tweet they made. Our allies don't think it's safe to work with Huawei. You see, that's what they tell party members when they're asking for your donations. Look at the date of that, February 17th. Today's March 4th. There's no way they weren't already negotiating with Huawei's guy to come over to run the Conservative Party. There's no way they weren't saying one thing in private to the Huawei guy and another in public to get Conservative Party donors. Look at this tweet from three weeks ago. A Conservative MP was outraged that a Liberal Party activist went to work for Huawei at that same time, Aaron O'Toole was surely whining and dining Huawei's former VP to come work for him. What, did they think he wouldn't find this out? At the end of the day, Ezra is just mad that Eric isn't as angry as he is against his sworn enemy, China. And that is the week. So we had a short 
roundup section because there was three separate stories this week I wanted you to weigh in on. So rather than cover them briefly up top, uh, I'll just grab your opinion on them. Uh, None of which were that deep, so we could shove them all here. I didn't have like one story this week that really stuck out that we could like get into. So we're just going to run through the, the three smaller ones and see how we feel. So the first one is that, uh, I don't know if you were following this, but Kian got himself taken to what I believe was a quarantine uh, COVID hotel. Did you hear about this? No. So so what happened was, Kian, and for those who are listening, we did a stream uh, last week where I covered some of this. But Kian went to Florida to do a story on what he called uh, vaccine refugees. The idea was that people were going to America to purchase a vaccine there because it's not as uh, available here in Canada. So he flies to Florida. And then on his way back, he purposely tries to get uh, into one of these COVID quarantine hotel facilities that they keep like marketing as COVID jails and as like the equivalent of a gulag in Canada. <laughs> So, so Kian gets into this place and then decides to like create content while inside about how like uh, poorly the facilities are run and how it's costing him like so much money. And it was just making an absolute fool of himself. I think even this hour has 22 minutes ended up doing a sketch making fun of Kian. Uh <laughs> Which I guess, like, you've made it now, Kian. Even this hour has 22 minutes is insulting you. So, congratulations. The main issue that they seem to have is, like, with people being put into these facilities. Now, remember, these facilities are only set up so that people who leave the country for non-essential reasons, they must quarantine themselves within a hotel for three days that they have to pay for out of their own expenses, even if they test negative, And that's just to make sure that they don't end up testing positive later on. Mm-hmm. And again, it's for non-essential reasons. So it's like anyone who's traveling outside of the country for essential reasons, you're not going to have to be put in this facility. Now, they argue that every Canadian citizen has a right to mobility is what they call it. So they're saying that, like, if you leave the country as a citizen, you have the right to come back. Section six of our Charter of Rights guarantees mobility for any reason. It doesn't have to be a depressing reason or a cataclysmic reason. Reason And if you've ever read the first page of your passport, and I encourage, encourage people to do so, it's basically a letter from the Queen to the world saying, hey, this is a Canadian citizen, please, please give them all rights and privileges you can, and they can come back to Canada anytime. That's basically what a passport is. So the fact that you can't come back into Canada, the country of your citizenship, and go home, and that you're forced to incarcerate, it's, you know, it's extra bad when it's an important reason. But even if it's just for a casual reason or vacation, a lot of people want a vacation. Some people spend maybe $1,000 on a week-long vacation getaway. They come back and then they have to spend $2,000 on their own incarceration. It's, it's an attack on so many basic freedoms that we used to take for granted until just a few minutes ago. I mean, like... <laughs> In this case, you having to quarantine in a hotel as you come back, is that preventing your right of mobility? Well, I mean, you get to still cross the border and still come back. It's not like preventing you from going anywhere. It's just, I guess, the only mobility is the mobility for that isolation period that you have to be stuck in a hotel. That's it. 
Well, even me, like right at the face of it, I'm like, what if you got stopped at the border for a few hours while they check your luggage? Like, is that impeding your right of mobility? Like, how how long does like the buffer case need to be? That and like at any point, Kian can just leave the COVID hotel. He would receive a fine after doing so, but he could just leave. Yeah. The other thing that happens here is uh, when when Kian arrives back in Canada, they ask like everyone who arrives needs to take a COVID test. And most of the, the airports, all they have available is the PCR test, which is the long uh, Q-tip that goes up your nostril and scrapes your, your brain, you know, doesn't actually scrape your brain, yeah. but, <laughs> and there's a, a condition saying that you have the right to refuse this test because you're allowed as a Canadian citizen to refuse an invasive test like that. However, there is a fine if you refuse to do it. And Ezra and Kian try to make this out like it's contradictory. Yeah, uh, one of the things most frustrating is the Kafka-esque feeling that no one knows what's going on, but you have to comply anyways. No one knows what the rules are, but you'd better follow them. Um, when you landed at the Calgary airport, there were some very officious, busybody-style health authorities there. But when you pointed out, look, Section 14 of the Quarantine Act says you, you can't put anything in my body to poke and prod me. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we don't have the right to do so. But if you don't do it and if you leave, we're going to call the cops on you. But like, I, I, I don't personally see it as contradictory in the same way that we have vaccine programs that when you vaccinate or like you might not be allowed to send your kid to elementary school if they don't have specific vaccines or they aren't exempted uh to have them well i guess the whole argument though with that is then you're preventing the children from participating in, in like a social good but in this case like the only thing is that it could be it's like a class decision right like can you afford the fine of course we know can and ezra could definitely afford those fines <laughs> but with all those lawsuits they're putting forward but like and there's also like, I mean, even in the case of the children thing, like, yes, you might be depriving and it's uh, sad that you would deprive it uh, given that it's a child. And they're more flexible in terms of like what kind of exemptions you can get, like religious exemptions, etc. But the reason for doing this is because you need herd immunity to prevent the spread of these communicable diseases. And it's the same thing with COVID. So it's like, OK, yes, coming into this country, uh, you can refuse to take this test. But yeah. We the reason why we put a fine in there is because we want to we want to somewhat we want to incentivize you towards taking the test in order to improve public well being in in this case yeah. because there's a global fucking pandemic. <laughs> yeah, and just as you said, uh, they say that the fine is so expensive that it could cripple you financially. What's what are your options, really? Sure. They they kept saying you won't be arrested. Uh, we, we can't force you to stay here. We're not going to pin you down and make you take this test. But your alternative is something that is a, a fine that is so staggering that it could be life crippling, It could be life altering. You'd go bankrupt. You'd lose your house. You'd lose your car. Uh, your family would fall apart if you got a fine like this. Yeah. And so so really, what, what's the difference if a cop comes and steamrolls you and puts you in handcuffs versus the threat and, and the the lack of understanding of what's what that fine actually could be. Of course, you're going to comply. Yeah. And of course, I did because I wanted to go to the hotel and see the, the quarantine facilities and see what was going on. That was the primary reason. Yeah, I, I do think that is a concern 
or a worry. But I do feel like at least, and it's a sidestep for whether or not these facilities are even effective in the first place, but I do feel like people are aware that this policy exists. It You should be made aware of it, I think, even before getting on an airplane or crossing the border anyways. So it's like usually the people who choose to leave for non-essential reasons are probably those who are like, aware of the regulations and are prepared to pay the expenses since they've chosen to leave anyways. Yeah, no, that's true. And for non-essential reasons, it's like, here's a good idea. Just stay home then. <laughs> like <laughs> you don't need to go to like Florida to do your stupid, uh, reporting key. <laughs> so the other, the issue is like, are these sites effective? And I, they, they mentioned this in the piece, but I would say that, like, I kind of agree with them, and I'm not sure they are effective, and I've seen a lot of, like, coverage on this now saying that they're not very effective, so this might not be a good idea anyways, and part of that is, like, even in watching Kian's footage, you can see that he's in close proximity to the staff, including, like, one of the staff of the hotel rides in an elevator with him. Yeah. And that kind of, like... You, would, you wouldn't necessarily get that exposure if you were to go straight home, for example, but I think the worry that the government is thinking is like, if we couldn't even have trusted you in the first place to stay in the country rather than travel, how are we going to trust you to stay in your house during quarantine? Like to quarantine yourself, you know? Yeah. And so it's a tricky position, but at the same time, I almost feel bad like you're endangering the the hotel staff and stuff like this. Although I'm hoping that they're vaccinated and other measures are put in place to to at least protect them. But I don't know. So they might, they might, Kian might have a small point there. <laughs> Kian also said, like this, I don't believe this at all. But Kian does say that a prison warden called him and uh, said that the conditions are worse than prison. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, we were, we were supposed to stay in our hotel room, jail cell, whatever you want to call it. All the time, no matter no matter what, unless uh, um, a secure security personnel came to escort us to our yard time, and you know, uh, you met, you mentioned that I I did partake in some yard time. Um, we we got a lot of emails from folks, and even even someone from who who works at a federal maximum security prison and said that even his prisoners were treated better than us, given more yard time, given more time to work out, and they were uh, also given better food than we were given, which wasn't a surprise to me because uh, if you saw the breakfast that I ate, um, it was it was pitiful. Uh, and the fact that we were paying for it even made it worse. But here's the thing. After watching all of Kian's footage and the interview on uh, The Rebel this week, Kian's major complaint seems to be that he had a crepe that was cold at one point during his stay. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the food. It's Lent, so I'm fasting, so food is on my mind even terrible food. Tell me all about it. I mean, there's there's a menu that you can order from. Uh, and I ordered the waffles and pancakes for this morning. And they came and it was Eggo waffles and crepes. And that sounds, I mean, the crepes sound fancy, but they're not. They were ice cold along with the Eggo waffles. Um, it was It was the most disappointing thing I could possibly wake up to. You know that moment when you wake up and you realize that you know something terrible has happened. You you realize the conditions you're living in, or or whatever it is. I woke up. I'm like, oh crap! I'm in this quarantine hotel still. And then I get a knock on the door, and it's these ice cold waffles, courtesy of Justin Trudeau. Actually, not even courtesy of Justin Trudeau. I had to pay for this shit, right? I had to pay over 
you know, they, they're asking people for $2,000 in some cases for these hotels, and they're giving us food like we're prisoners. They treat prisoners better than this, right? Prisoners at least get their garbage food for free. Aren't crepes supposed to be cold? I don't know. I'm not a crepe person. Like you have crepes that can be filled with ice cream. Well, this crepe, well, my guess is like you, you need to cook the crepe first because it's kind of like a pancake, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a very thin pancake. I don't know. Like when I think of crepe, I think of like, it's like a dessert. But I know some people have it like as like as if it's pancakes with like syrup and stuff. But like usually it's like a thin pancake and you wrap it in like a chunk of ice cream. Yeah, so this was just the crepe. I mean, the image of it looked uh, pretty sad. I mean, on one side he had Eggo waffles, and on the other side was just the crepe. But then it was also you find out that like there was a menu and he had choices, and he chose the Eggo and crepe, <laughs> and then complained that it was ice cold. Yeah, the government's so awful for making him eat food that isn't up to his standards. How awful he's had the crepe. <laughs> No, it's it's uh it's the equivalent of a Soviet gulag since Kian referred to this as <laughs> as a gulag. <laughs> you know, menus. Something gulags had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the other thing is that I noticed he he never tweeted out or talked, uh at least from what I could see about any other meals he had while staying at the hotel, which leads me to believe that every other meal was, like, perfectly fine. And he's just mad that one of the meal meals that he purchased was ice-cold crepes. <laughs> yeah, so silly. Lastly, this this never happened on the show this week, but I have to tell you this. Kian, well, like, you already know this, but our audience doesn't. Kian started a puzzle company. <laughs> And by puzzle company, I mean, yes, literally a jigsaw puzzle company. And this morning as we're, well, actually last night, uh, Kian tweeted out that he had incoming like big news. And I already knew he was starting a jigsaw puzzle company. So I was like, oh, what? My guess is the big news had something to do with the jigsaw puzzle. And I woke up this morning to the delight of Kian releasing the very first puzzle, which was a artistic rendering uh, of an image that he made himself. <laughs> His different conservative leaders and Maple Leaf jersey. Oh, I guess they're like they're actual hockey players for the Maple Leafs. <laughs> no, they were all they were all prime ministers. Oh, were they? Yeah, and it, like Stephen Harper is holding the Stanley Cup over his head, <laughs> and the banners on the ceiling that like. You know, usually the banners on the ceiling will be like the years that the the team has won the Stanley Cup. But this was like every year was uh, or every banner from the ceiling was the like terms that conservative prime ministers have had in Canada. And let's let's be clear. Kian is doing this because he says uh, he loves puzzles for one and for two. He's like, the left always wins the culture war because they're like in on the culture. So this is Kian's contribution to fighting the culture war with puzzles. <laughs> the second story, which I know you're super hyped to know about, is that cancel culture has come for the sacred books of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> what are your feelings about Dr. Seuss, Caitlin? You know, we're getting into the really, like, meaty subject matter here. Dr. fucking Seuss. I honestly can't even remember, like, half of his books. Like, I know I read them as a kid, but that's about it. 
do you feel like your childhood is now officially ruined because they've canceled Doctor Seuss? No, not at all. <laughs> not impacted whatsoever. Uh, Ezra, Ezra, not to uh, uh, not to downplay what's happening, says that the Sneeches. It's a great story. I bet that story did more to stop racism in America than any other book ever written, except the Bible and Uncle Tom's Cabin. No offense to, like, religious people reading this, but, like, the Bible was used to justify slavery for a very long time. So I don't know if you could even say that uh, yeah, exactly. the Bible itself somehow stopped racism. Also, I didn't know that racism was stopped. <laughs> I think the point of us doing this show is to point out racism is alive and well. They believe in, like, a post-racial society right like no one sees color anymore it's just these people don't want to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get it going right so that's probably where the stop racism has come from yeah it was uh at the moment when dr seuss had drawn the the stars on the snitch's bellies racism <laughs> just like evaporated <laughs> the thing is i've i've read some like uh more critical essays now just because, like, I've been engaged in people talking about this crap uh, online for, like, the past week. And, like, there's articles saying that, like, even the snitches, like, it engages in, like, aspects of uh, almost talking about race as if, like, colorblindness is the, the right path to go. And therefore doesn't yeah. even appropriately address anti-racism as we know of it today and how to actually cultivate anti-racist uh, cultures. And so even even that, like the Sneetches might have been like a nice story, but like even today, it's like, do we really need it? Is it really teaching the lessons that we want it to teach? Why don't we just move on to better better stories from more diverse authors, you know? Yeah, see, I didn't even read that book because I didn't care for Dr. Seuss. I was more of a Robert Munch kind of, kind of kid. <laughs> Robert Munch? Canceled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I don't even know if Robert Bunch has been canceled, but you know, why not? <laughs> when it make a difference in my life, but those are the only books I can really like, like uh, the picture books that I can remember. Like I just remember the, uh, the I love you forever book. Oh yeah. Rachel reads that to the kids. Yeah. And my mom used to read that to me all the time. Yeah. Paper bag princess though. Paper bags. <laughs> you cancel. <laughs> Princesses, you're enforcing the monarchy? Get the fuck out of here, Robert. <laughs> the only other thing, I mean, like, so, yeah, okay, as it goes on, people are calling Dr. Seuss a bigot. And, like, I find, like, arguments over the person's character. There's some evidence that he might have, like, had some regret over some things. But he lived pretty long and never apologized, for example, some of the cartoons he made that disparaged uh, Japanese-Americans during World War II. Mm. And so there's elements of that where, like, you know, he had plenty of time to apologize and didn't. And But then there's other elements in which, like, there were some of his... Uh, more racially insensitive drawings in some of the books were edited later to be less uh, stereotypical uh, and less caricature. And so in that case, it's like, okay, he had some moments of reflection. But at the same, like at the end of the day, I almost don't care about like him personally and about like his racism. It's like, what do the books teach kids today? And so it's like, 
It really doesn't matter what in in his heart of hearts whether or not Dr. Seuss was an absolute bigot or not. Yeah. And then of course Ezra ends by you can buy Hitler's Mein Kampf on Amazon. <laughs> but sure, go ahead and call Dr. Seuss a bigot and ban his books. You you can buy Hitler's Mein Kampf by the way on Amazon. That that's not banned. So what is, what is that even that point? Like we should cancel Dr. Seuss because you can buy Mein Kampf. Is that what he? <laughs> so I, I guess I missed part of part of what's going on here is that how Dr. Seuss got canceled. I guess I didn't spell it out because it's all over the fucking place. But apparently the estate that carries Dr. Seuss's books that like sells it to publishers, they've decided to drop. Uh, six books of Dr. Seuss. They're not going to sell them anymore. Uh, and these six books uh, have racialized depictions and uh, some pretty offensive moments in them. And so they've been removed from the stores. They won't be yeah. allowing people to sell them anymore. So his thing is like, how will, like, oh my God, I can't buy a Dr. Seuss book with racial de- uh, racial caricatures for my children. I can't buy that on Amazon but I can buy Hitler's Mein Kampf. Like that's the kind of argument that he's making here. Mm. I don't even like care about like, I mean like, it's not like these books are going to like forever be off of some sort of circulation. And I wonder if you could buy them used on Amazon. I don't know if Amazon was specifically saying they won't even let you sell it used on their, their platforms or whatever, or Kijiji or any of these other uh, areas you can go on. But when it comes to something like uh, Mein Kampf, there's a level to which, it serves like an important historical thing about like learning about that time period. And the other like difference to me is, is like, you're not reading Hitler's Mein Kampf to your children. At least I hope you're not, <laughs> which is a little different, right? At least I feel there's like a difference there. No, I kind of think it's fucked up that, that you can buy stuff like that. Like, I don't think I need to read Mein Kampf to learn a historical lesson or to not, want to read or even (laughs) you know align myself with any of the values that come out of that book yeah it's tricky i mean like i've given this some thought and part of it is like i mean we do this show but at the same time like i want ezra to go away (laughs) But, but like when it comes to like some of the other work that i do like i i have a ton of books that i think are bad and i think the authors are racist and all that but like I read them because they they were influential to people and it's important to read it so that I can understand what the right is thinking. But I do think that you're right and that it creates like a double bind because other people pick up these things and are influenced by them. I don't think Mein Kampf has that like sway anymore, but like maybe like books like the Turner Diaries, which inspired uh, the Oklahoma City Bomber. Yeah. Timothy McVeigh and stuff like this like maybe those books uh yeah maybe we shouldn't be selling them anywhere and like largely I don't think you can buy the Turner Diaries at like Amazon I think you would have to go find out your like local white supremacist who probably has a copy or something like that yeah well an example that I'm thinking of is I remember like one professor in a class that I took put the the bell curve on the syllabus and didn't like allude to anybody what it was about and a lot of the class hadn't read it and I remember sitting there thinking like this is fucking fascist 
this is awful. What the fuck are we reading? And I've already heard about the issues with the bell, the bell carp. And um, at that point, a lot of the, the students in the class didn't. And they were criticizing the methodology that some of the the scientists used. And then I just sat there and was like, this is awful. Why are we reading this? Like, this is an awful, horrible, fascist piece of work. And I don't want to read this in my classes. And then a bunch of students were like, well, I mean, I think it's a really good way to look at methodology and how to do methods in social sciences. And they couldn't they didn't have any historical understanding of this book and why this book is created and like why, how it gets used. Did they mean that it was good for methods in that it shows you how to do it wrong? Cause they like really did methods wrong in that book. <laughs> yeah. They're like, it's a good, and they were even saying like the methods themselves, it was a weird comment. Like they said the methods themselves aren't bad. No, they're pretty bad. They're just not well, they're just not well done. Like what? that's what they <laughs> And I remember sitting there just with like the most sour look on my face being like, why the fuck did anyone think this was a good idea to read in this class? And then I'm no, I was just sitting there. And I remember like after class, this one lady comes and speaks like a she's just a little a mature student and comes and talks to me. And she was like, your comment was brilliant. Because I was thinking the same thing, but you just like straight up said, this is fascist. What is this? Why are we reading it? And no one ever criticized. Like people were really like talking about the methodology and what was wrong with the methodology. But you never get the fact of the overarching argument is just immoral to even be having in general. And like, and, and this is where it becomes problematic because it's like, like if you have these books, just lying around and the thing is okay so the the to to the fairness of the person who was doing the course is their hopes was that students would be able to critically assess a piece that has already been such denounced but it didn't really go that way it went yeah. pretty neutral in the tone like it wasn't like people were for it it was just like people were kind of like ah the methods they didn't do this correctly and they didn't do that correctly and they should have done this instead of this and if they wanted to actually accurately test something like that. And I was like, why are we even fucking testing something like that in the first place? Is that something moral that we want to test? And for people who don't know, they're testing like intelligence among races and gender as well. And they're basically making arguments again about like IQ being related to to your racial group because the the, the authors clearly want to prove that white people are intelligently superior than other other they assume that your racial group is tied to your genes and all kinds of other like bullshit but i mean like if you're going to do it you need to do it through a critical lens and do it the way that you're discussing it right now which is like analyze like like to me the more interesting question is why someone would have produced this book in the first place what are they doing with it and why why is that why are the motives bad? And then look how their motives led to them using shitty methodology. You know what I mean? Because it led them to cherry pick their data and do it in ways that got the preferred results that they wanted and not because what was actually true, right? But this is, okay, but this goes into like a wider discussion about like why research and like books even, like even doing research for books and your motives need to have an ethical component yeah. to them. And like why why we do need to evaluate um, uh, the 
the content that's being published out there. Because the problem is this was shitty science to begin with. We all agreed in that class that I'm talking about that this was shitty, right? And then on top of it, like, you you get where it's just like the motives are just bad. Like, they're not moral <laughs> positions yeah. that we should, we should even be debating, I think, in a classroom setting like that. And at the end of the day, if you want to talk about children's book, why are we going to be debating morally to children whether this is good or bad, they should just be, I think, at least reading the thing that we kind of wholly agree on is something acceptable for them to read. But it's like worse almost for like the children, because at least, at least if what you're like, if you could do what you're suggesting properly in how to convey the accurate, like, uh, moral or message to be gained from like, assigning that book and actually going through the work of explaining and, and, uh, teaching what like teaching it critically to show why this was a problem like yeah that's one thing but like i find the problem with like the children books i like for one like say you have it at the library and some child you know grabs one of the more like more uh, uh racialized uh dr seuss books and uh gives it to their parents and they take it out and the kids at home just flicking through this and like incorporating some of the Im imagery as being like a normal thing to do without the parent even like really knowing and even if the parents sat down and read them like how many of them are like fully realizing what's going on how many of them have taken like a few studies in like how to approach racial issues critically and stuff like this, right? And so now, now you're sitting there with a child who's just like normalizing caricatures of racial groups, you know, in their heads. Uh, and so it's like to me, it's like yes, like I would, I would prefer if we just not have those books around for kids to just passively pick up and have instead diverse and interesting stories that adequately treat people with with dignity and respect. So that we normalize that. Yeah. The adult books, it's more complicated. But I, I take what you're saying and I, I I pretty much agree with you. It's just like a matter of like, what do we do about it? I don't know. Like, I don't want necessarily the government top down to like ban all books or something. <laughs> like, because like, frankly, I don't trust the government to make those assessments accurately. Because given our state of the world, they're probably going to say, yeah, the bell curve. Let's make everyone read that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like it gets complicated, but at the same time, it's like uh, when it comes to children's books, let's uh, let's have better representation. Yeah. So the last story that we're going to cover this week is this pastor in Edmonton. I'm not even going to say their name because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> they were arrested for technically defying their bail terms. And the reason why they defied their bail terms, so for those who don't know, there was this pastor in Edmonton who had a church. The church is called the Grace Life Church. They came in, said the way that you're holding your church services, they go against the COVID mandates. They then, like, find him and said that if you go back and you do it again, you're going to be, like, defying your bail and you'll go to prison. He said that if you release me, I'm immediately going to go and defy my bail. So they kept him in prison and he's been there ever since. So this was like earlier in the week and Ezra's talking about it. And Ezra says that, uh, of course, he's saying that this church is being targeted by the faith of lockdownism because, of course, he is saying that. So this is like, again, before. The, so there's a bail hearing that's upcoming and we're going to get to it because by the end of the week, they, they come back to it full circle. The bail hearing has been had. But uh, the pastor is currently at this point in time sitting uh, waiting for his bail hearing. 
and Ezra complains that the church has been packed since the pastor has been arrested. So locking up the pastor has not removed the health threat, right? So people are still congregating in the church. And none of the new pastors have been arrested. So because of the arrest of the first pastors, or the first pastor, the Edmonton police have been kind of skittish about doing doing anything else and arresting any more of them. Mm. And so it seems like arresting the first pastor was kind of arbitrary because if these future pastors are still violating the law, shouldn't we just be like, I don't know, uh, a long chain of constantly arresting pastors <laughs> until there's no church left. You just arrested everyone. But it's clear then that like, if you arrest everyone, this will become like national news, you know? Yeah. And then you're going to get people who are saying like the government's out to get Christianity. And yeah. So Ezra then concludes, so why don't we just let the pastor out? And I don't know how I feel about this. And I've even wrestled with this in my head, and I, I don't know what the correct answer is. And I don't envy any of the people who have to make decisions here. But I don't, I don't know if you have thoughts. Like, do, should we just arrest every pastor, or should we let this pastor out? Like, I don't know uh, what you think. If they're willing to like arrest him again, if he keeps doing it, then yeah, let him out. And then just arrest him again. If he's gonna keep doing it, yeah. Just a cycle of arrest, arrest, arrest. <laughs> But I mean, like, I can see, like, in the courts that that can be seen as something as arbitrary. Yeah. If you're not going to be doing it and enforcing it for every single person. And then that, and then that kind of, you know, that rule just becomes very weak. Yeah. Or at least arbitrary, which again, like we talked about, like the Oaks test, if something's arbitrary, it, it kind of is a, a count against it with whether or not you can violate someone's charter rights for doing that. But like at the same time, like I can imagine if 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 you're in the position where you realize that like further arrests are going to exacerbate a situation. So for example, and I, I in a way I don't side with the police in either of these scenarios. But like even in the the Wet'suwet'en uh, confrontation that occurred between the the Wet'suwet'en and the RCMP, Ezra was really upset that the RCMP just didn't go in there guns blazing and destroy everything right away. But you can even tell there that the worry is if you go in there guns blazing and just destroy everything right away, though, like you're going to have protests in the streets all over Canada, right? Mm. So you could tell that what they're doing is trying to navigate this in a way to appropriately deal with the circumstance. And I can imagine even in this case with this pastor, you can think to yourself uh, like as someone trying to like think a few steps ahead you know, if we keep arresting this pastor or if we arrest every other pastor because now they're getting uh, new pastors to fill in and they keep on having these packed church stadiums, like you're likely to increase the risk by constantly to bringing more attention to this by constantly arresting people, right? And so yeah. it's like it, it, it just puts you in this weird place where you want the whole point of having these people arrested in the first place is to prevent things like outbreaks from happening. And now you're put in a place where actually following through and arresting these people could exacerbate the reason why you <laughs> you arrested them in the first place, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I have no clue how to how to figure this out. And that's why I'm not in a position of power to make that choice. <laughs> But anyways, so then later in the week on Friday, John Carpe, who's for the uh, Center of Justice and Constitutional Freedoms or whatever the hell it's called, uh, he 
who's, you know, Ezra's buddy. He's also representing this pastor because, of course, he is. And he comes on after the court ruled to deny the pastor bail. So the court was like, uh, you say you're going to continue to defy your bail? And he's like, yes. And he goes like, okay, we're going to keep you in prison until your trial, which will be in May. So now the pastor will remain in jail to till May because he said that he'll defy his bail conditions if released. Ezra suggests that the substance of the charges will result in no jail time. So like defying COVID orders, you don't go to jail for that. Which he is like, it's not entirely accurate since violating the terms of your bail actually will result in in a prison term since it's a criminal offense to deny your bail even if the initial like offense was more of a a fine. Mm -hmm. And Ezra is further mad uh, that the prosecutor in this case wants to hide their name. So he goes through the effort of saying her name over and over again on the show. And this comes a week after he blamed Bonnie Henry for the death of someone. And Bonnie Henry is receiving death threats. And here, this prosecutor clearly doesn't want to be named because she's afraid for her own safety in prosecuting this pastor. And so by Ezra saying her name over and over again, he is, again, drawing attention to her so that people will go and harass her because he's an asshole. The prosecutor trying to hide her name uh, from the public yesterday, pretending that she's been under threat by these little lambs at the church. I think that's that patently absurd on the face of it. If it is in fact true, well then send those threats to the police. They certainly seem to be eager to enforce them brutally. Maybe Pastor Coates will have some roommates. Uh, I don't believe it for a second. I think that you, you have a prosecutor who realizes she's doing something contrary to the public interest. And as I said earlier, bringing the administration of justice into disrepute. And so naturally she wants to hide her name. And she also wants to play the victim because the whole world sees that she's actually the persecutor. So the fact that Gertrude wants to hide her name is contrary to our nature in law. And I'm going to shout her name to the rafters. Very nice. Yes. Carpe is also mad that the prosecutor is hiding their name. Perhaps she believes in sincerely that she is doing the right thing. I, I try to not, you know, go into people's hearts and minds. And, and I, I assume that people are, they, they have good motives. They're, they're doing what they believe to be right. But what I think is incredibly slimy is for her to pretend that somehow her, her safety is at risk. Um, and I, I, I would love it if she, uh, you know, if, if that is the case, she should put an affidavit in the court and she should have, you know, transcripts of the death threats, if any, or she should have, uh, you know, the, the the threatening emails or notes or this or that, because Pastor Coates is 100% peaceful, 100% nonviolent. The members of his congregation are peaceful and nonviolent. And part of me is like, I don't think that they're worried about the congregants. They're probably worried about rebel news fans, <laughs> if I could guess. Especially since you're, a, you're a, a lawyer who seems to represent a lot of the things that Rebel covers on the show, and you work with Ezra, including being on his show constantly. So, But anyways, what, it, what is missing from this discussion is whether uh, gathering in a crowded church is even necessary for the spiritual well-being of uh, these people. This is something like Ezra never touches on, Carpe doesn't touch on, right? It seems like other churches all over this country have managed to continue their services by modifying them for the pandemic. So why is this pastor being so needlessly defiant 
and putting his entire flock and the broader community at risk during a global pandemic. Why is he doing this? Well, for a moral point. For like, is it even a moral point? Well, for his own morality, <laughs> which is like this pandemic is stupid. We shouldn't have lockdowns. This isn't the right thing to do. It's a violation of my freedoms. Yeah. So to him, it's a it's a it's to defend his own you know rights and freedom. But of course, that's not exactly what's happening it's a bunch of bullshit and like it could even just be a publicity something like who who the hell knows because now he gets to be i'm the martyr pastor who spent time in prison for <laughs> as caitlin brays and guffaws at the stupidity of this <laughs> So, Caitlin, you have decided to leave us, and that is fair. Uh, I will I will say, for anyone who's listening, being like, oh, no, what's going to happen? We will have another co-host, and they will be joining me uh, next week for next week's podcast episode, and I will reveal who they are then. But uh, also, I guess, like, to fill you in, too, uh, Caitlin and I are still friends, <laughs> I think. <laughs> This is it. Say goodbye for Jody. And then I I will say, you want to know what's funny? When we finished recording last week's episode, it wasn't until after it when when we raised this discussion. But uh, we ended the episode by me saying you were fired. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even realize that. It wasn't until I went back to editing it. I I was killing myself laughing. And I was like, no one's going to pick up on that now, so. Now I'll drive people back to listening to the very last thing that we said on that show, which was me saying that you're fired for not liking my dad jokes. (laughs) And that's the reason I'm leaving. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I guess you can, you can say why you're leaving if you want to, or uh, you can give us any parting wisdoms as your, your final moment on the show. Well, I'm, I'm just, to take it off to finish up my thesis, it's becoming a lot more, I guess, work. So it's a larger workload than I thought I originally was going to be. And yeah, I just, I need to keep on track and, you know, I've only got a couple more years and well, not even a couple more years, like a year and a half and I'll be finished, finished it up. So I just really want to take the time to like focus on it. And I've been going around in my life and just dropping other things that have been conflicting from me actually being able to accomplish uh, writing that thesis. So, Unlike you, I dropped a lot of money into my, my education and I was like, fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> but it's important that if you're, you're committed and you want to do it, that you stick with it. And so it's awesome yeah. that uh, you're going to do that. And and here's the thing, you have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come back to say anything, if you have anything important to say. And also, uh, if you wanted to come on uh, the stream at some point on Twitch and tell us all about your dissertation, uh, you're more than welcome to come by and say hello. Of course. Any any parting uh, blows at Ezra? While we... <laughs> Are you going to miss Ezra? <laughs> Just want to let them know that the left will win the cultural wars. And with that, 
If you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news of the Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Wednesday and Friday at 8 p.m. You can find all the links on our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle with the transition beats. You can find his work at stridem.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Caitlin, for this year and a half fun time adventure. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you in the future. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields?